Hi, my name is Benala Sarami. I'm the host to the Pharmacogenomics for Pharmacists podcast on one of the largest pharmacy podcast network. When I was a student in pharmacy school, I was doing research with Washington University, going to people's homes that are age over 65 who are homebound, looking at all their medications. And I realized all these patients are on the same medications, but they have different side effects or advantages to them. So when I stumbled upon pharmacogenomics, I realized that was the missing piece of why everyone was is acting different with the medication. It's all the genetic. So I'm a pharmacogenomics coach and I'm also a medical science liaison for a pharmacogenomics company. I create content on pharmacogenomics, educating providers and sales rep to provide more information on the value of pharmacogenomics and implementation of that piece. If you're looking for a pharmacogenomics coach, I can be reached on LinkedIn and also to listen on PGX for Pharmacists podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the social media platforms as well. You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Welcome to the Public Health Pharmacist Podcast with Dr. Christina Madison. Dr. Madison's mission is focused on spreading knowledge about public health to create better communities. The Public Health Pharmacist is a member of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Public Health Pharmacist Podcast, part of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Today I have another extraordinary guest with me today, Dr. Helen McKnight, um, all the way from Alabama. So I'm super excited to uh, share her and all of her wonderfulness with you guys today. So before we get started, uh, Dr. McKnight, tell us a little bit about um, where you're located and your current position. Well, thank you so much for the opportunity to be on your podcast. It's truly an honor. I've seen some of the webinars and things that you've done, and I wanted you to know that I appreciate you and appreciate this opportunity. So as you've said, my name is Helen McKnight. I'm the pharmacy director at a mid-sized hospital in central Alabama, part of a five hospital system, and then that hospital system has merged with a for-profit company that's based in Dallas, Texas. So a network of hospitals and um, hospital pharmacies. Uh, I've been here for about five years. And then before that, I worked in several other states. Fantastic. So you basically went where the opportunity was, right? So that's that's fantastic. And, and obviously, um, you know, women in leadership, um, women working during a crisis, uh, especially since you were uh, in charge during the pandemic, I'm sure that probably was a bit stressful, but we know, um, you know, based on some recent publications that, uh, you know, women and, and countries where uh, there were female leadership um, actually fared uh, quite a bit better <laughs> during the pandemic um, than some other places. Uh, so with that being said, uh, you know, I, I know my audience um, is always interested to find out sort of how people got to where they were, right? And so especially because you've been in leadership positions for a good chunk of your career. Um, I, I mean, myself, I, I'm, you know, I've been in academia for a, a, a majority of my uh, pharmacy professional life. 
And I'm just curious, you know, what things do you think have really helped you along your leadership journey? And was there anyone that you feel like was really influential that, um, you know, you think uh, would benefit or you could discuss um, with the audience? So let me take you back a little ways because I know that I sound American, but I'm not American. My parents are from Jamaica and they were part of the World War II reconstruction of England. So they moved to England in the 1950s and 60s separately with their families. And then I was born in the 70s in England. I have two other sisters, an older sister and a younger sister. Both of them are in healthcare as well. So I describe myself as British Jamaican American. I moved to the United States when I was eight years old and my family chose to move directly from London, England to Fort Lauderdale, Florida. So quite a bit of change there and that's what I consider to be my hometown. So growing up, I would certainly say that my parents were a big influence on me. At the time, neither of them had gone to college but they were very interested in making sure that their three daughters would have a college education. So my father, who reads the paper backwards and forwards from cover to cover, found out about pharmacy from an article that he read about in the paper. And at that point, they used to have classified ads in the paper, and he saw that a particular grocery store was advertising for pharmacists at about 15,000 more than the average salary that Americans make. And he said, I think that you would be really good for this profession. And I went to my local retail store and asked the pharmacist about it. So I knew nothing about pharmacy. I thought I wanted to be a nurse as I was growing up. But instead I went to this local retail store and the pharmacist said to me, I have a wife and I have an ex-wife and I can take care of them both. I said, oh, okay. So I went ahead and switched my major from nursing to pharmacy, ended up getting into University of Florida for my PharmD degree. It turned out to be the number seven school in the country. I didn't know that before I went there. And I got a PharmD from there. And I'm really proud to say with high honors. After that, I did a residency program at University of Maryland Medical System, which is in Baltimore. And I have to give credit to a couple of people along that journey. So I had a mentor at University of Florida who wasn't even in the pharmacy department. I will tell you at the time that I went to pharmacy school, there were only 15 African-American students in the entire four years. In my particular class, there were three African-American women out of 105 students. It's incredible. So, the, so my mentor was a respiratory therapist who I knew from a local church that I was going to, um, and he would take the time to bring me down to his office, talk about what I was going through, give me encouragement and tell me next steps. His name is John Carpenter. I believe he's long since retired at this point, but I certainly would thank him 
for all of his guidance throughout those three years that I was in Gainesville, Florida, and then the fourth year where I did all of my rotations in South Florida. So West Palm Beach, Fort Lauderdale, and Miami. Then I would move on to University of Maryland Medical System and Paul Wydell was the residency director at the time. Uh, Dr. Wydell has since moved on to the CDC and was the first, I think, epidemiology pharmacist who works there. But I thought that during residency, I wanted to be a pediatric oncology pharmacist. I had no idea that I would be a great leader. And Dr. Wydell is the person who identified that in me and really talked about the fact that he thought by the age of 29 that I would be a pharmacy director. And frankly, wow. I laughed. I did not think that that was going to happen to me, but really started to think about leadership. And Paul Wydell was correct. I was a pharmacy manager or what is the highest position in a hospital in South Florida by the time I was 29. My goodness, you are a force to be reckoned with. Man, I'll tell you, as someone else who had a, uh, a family member, so my grandmother used to read the paper from cover to cover. So I definitely get where you're coming from with telling that story about your dad. And my grandmother, um, finished high school, but never went, never finished college. She took college classes when she was older, but up until, you know, very late in her life, she would get up and she would read the paper every day. And she would tell me what she knew and tell me what she learned. And, um, my, um, my great, uh, uncles and aunts, she would always contact them and ask them, you know, um, and they would have conversations. I don't know what it is about when you get older and you ask about who who's died, like, cause they would always read the obituaries. I don't know, maybe that's a Southern Baptist thing. I'm not sure, but um, that's just such an incredible story. And, you know, kudos to you for um, seeking out mentorship and really capitalizing on that. I think that's one thing um, you know, as women and women of color that we often um, have challenges with, because I always say, if you can see it, you can be it. And if you don't see someone that is in a position where you would like to be, it's much harder for you to aspire to get to that level of, you know, excellence or to that level of, of leadership in your case. And so um, that's just incredible that you had those opportunities. Um, you know, with that being said, uh, obviously this last year has been quite challenging for a lot of, um, of our, our pharmacy leadership, right? As we've been sort of thrust into the spotlight of COVID and being asked to do more, um, I, I obviously I feel like we're very much an underutilized resource within the healthcare system, but I also feel like, you know, this is kind of a, an opportunity for pharmacy to shine. Um, can you talk a little bit about sort of the, uh, you know, the, the ways that your hospital adapted uh, during the pandemic? And then obviously now as we're sort of transitioning out of uh, sort of those emergency acute measures and really looking towards, you know, sort of this long-term aspect of living with COVID-19 versus, uh, you know, reacting to COVID-19. Certainly, I can share about that. So I left off on my story being in South Florida and the 
next part of the story was that I, nine years after I'd gotten my pharmacy degree, ended up moving to upstate New York because I met this wonderful gentleman and he became my husband within a year. So I worked for an academic medical center in upstate New York for 12 years and then moved down to Alabama because I had found an opportunity here as I was going through an MBA program that I did when I was in my mid forties. So here I am now in Alabama. We don't have any family support here, my husband and I. Um, he's actually from Western New York. And as I said, I'm from South Florida. So there you are, you have 13 hour drive each way. So I've been here at my community hospital for five years. One of the reasons why I chose the hospital that I'm currently leading is because of the excellent clinical pharmacy support that was already in place before I got here. We do have three PGY1 residents, one PGY2 resident, and then several, about six clinical pharmacy specialists or clinical pharmacists. What I really love and what I try to do is stay out of the way of my excellent staff. Uh, one of the best compliments I've heard about my staff members is that they are the straw that stirs the drink. So we are highly respected. Uh, we're always asked to be part of medical rounds and be part of projects and things that we do. So going into the COVID vaccine, uh, period of time, which in Alabama ran from December, roughly through March or April of 2021, uh, pharmacy was invited to the table quickly early on. We had limited storage capabilities in the pharmacy department. As you may recall, people were talking about ultra cold storage and cold storage, and we utilized the five hospitals that we have in this area with a spoke and wheel setup. So one of our sister hospitals was able to get a particular COVID-19 vaccine, and then they distributed that out to our area. This hospital is situated in an urban type area where the average income of the people who live around this hospital is about $18,000 a year. So it would be considered to be more in the low income spectrum of the people that live in this area. So we were wanting to make sure that we were offering vaccine to our healthcare workers and then opening it up to other people who might need to get the vaccine. So we have a big conference center here that we usually use for HR type of activities. That was turned into a clinic type setting. We utilized our nurses and nursing students. We did tabletop exercises at first to ensure that we could vaccinate a certain number of people per day and then set up all of our computer support. In the end, we vaccinated roughly about 2000 people, both the first and second doses. It wasn't just healthcare workers, and I'll talk about that in just a second. It was funeral directors, police, judges, you name it, 
people pretty were much coming anybody to- who was forward facing. And that's brilliant, by the way. I hadn't even thought about the funeral home directors because they were inundated, right? During this time, unfortunately. Absolutely. There's a funeral home pretty much across the street from our campus. And that person had asked to be vaccinated and then told their friends and that really spread. Lawyers and judges also came to us and got vaccinated. What I'm most concerned about is our healthcare workers. And I don't have all of the numbers. They're still being data mined, but we know that roughly about 40% of our healthcare workers were vaccinated and that the rates in Alabama are roughly about 30% for vaccination. So that's very low. We're always looked at as one of the states that needs to do more. And I'm looking into some research in the future about vaccine hesitancy. It is hard to see vaccine hesitancy here in the pharmacy department because I would say 90 to 95% of pharmacy staff members did get vaccinated. So if you're working in a pharmacy and you're wondering what I'm talking about, you're not gonna see it because perhaps you got vaccinated and your friends and family did, but there's still a number of people who are very concerned about the rate in which the vaccines were approved and whether or not that they're safe. And being in a state that is known for the Tuskegee incidents, uh, centering around some of the things that you're very interested in, makes people very reluctant to get vaccines. So I believe the American Society of Health System Pharmacy is now doing projects around what they're calling vaccine confidence. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's a, it's unfortunate because um, I feel like in general, the South ends up getting a very bad reputation for a lot of public health issues. So not just, you know, related to, you know, the pandemic, but also related to things around sexual health, HIV, STIs, you know, so it it is really unfortunate. And I think that mistrust of the healthcare system um, because of a lot of those uh, unfortunate um, sort of long lasting traumas of the fact that, you know, black and brown people have been experimented on, have been thought of as less than, have been given substandard care. And it's it's generational trauma that is now being, you know, unfortunately projected onto our, our, our current um, generation. And, and as much as we try to overcome that, we still need to acknowledge and affirm that it's coming from a place where it truly is, uh, you know, because of the fact that, you know, our, our ancestors were enslaved, right? I mean, that's really what it, it all boils down to. And, and the backs of modern medicine were, were conducted in, in, in particular OBGYN medicine on the backs of African-American slaves and women. And so, (laughs) yeah, I mean, you're nodding your head because obviously you know that. And because of the fact that I'm sure your area is predominantly, you know, African-American, that is going to be a challenge. And I think we need to confront that head on and, you know, really, you know, get uncomfortable 
and talk about the things that are really causing people to not feel like this vaccine is something that they should be taking. And obviously I'm, you know, I, I assume that you took the vaccine. I, I guess I shouldn't assume that, but, um, but I think when they see, you know, when individuals see someone of color and see someone of color in charge, right. And then they're talking about, you know, what their why is and the reasons for them getting the vaccine that helps. And, and, and it's not that I don't think that we can get the vaccine rates in those kinds of areas up. I think it just takes a little more time and effort. Right. And so, um, you know, in particular, I've done this series with um, MPHA um, about vaccine hesitancy and sort of how do we um, inc include and, and increase vaccine confidence. And a lot of times I feel like the Black community was just already labeled as vaccine hesitant before we even gave them an opportunity to even talk about it. And so, you know, I have, you know, African-American colleagues and stuff that would tell me, well, I'm not hesitant about getting the vaccine. Like they just, that was something that was put on me, you know, like they just told, automatically assume that I didn't want to get it. And that's not the case. And so I think as much as we need to um, engage in that population, I think we also need to listen and we need to listen to what the reasons are, why they they're choosing to wait to get vaccinated or is it an access problem? Right. I mean, I think there's so many things that we, we can investigate further. Um, you know, with that being said, you know, I'm curious, uh, you know, as there's now more attention being paid to sort of this diversity and inclusion um, as one of, you know, unfortunately, very few African-American, uh, you know, leaders within hospital and then also within pharmacy, um, you know, how do you how do you see us overcoming and sort of utilizing this this touchstone within our social, uh, our social fabric right now to, to think about how we can progress and how we can overcome some of these, you know, institutionalized um, issues within our healthcare system and, and both implicit and implicit biases. Well, there's so much there. As you've seen, I've been nodding my head vigorously yes. as you've yes. been talking. And it's certainly been interesting because I came from a state that was post-Christian and extremely progressive, even in the upstate section of, of New York State, much more progressive. And then I came to a state that fits with my core values, but is extremely conservative, very Christian, deep South, and then all these different issues rolled into play. And here I am, I believe I'm one of two uh, African-American pharmacy leaders in my state, and here I come. So I would certainly say that the fears need to be validated and listened to as you talked about and explained. I don't think people want to be told, stand in line here and get the vaccine. I think people want to hear, why am I getting the vaccine? And so as a Christian, I choose to worship in this neighborhood. It's a long way from my Eastern suburb where, I, where we reside, but I come all the way back 
to the city to make sure that I worship here um, with a congregation. And between our time of study and our time of divine service, we always have a health nugget. And so I take the time just from my small corner of the city to tell people about what I know. So I took the time during the COVID vaccine to talk about hand washing, to talk about social distancing, to talk about the different vaccines that were available, and then offered an opportunity for that congregation to listen to what I said. I was initially hesitant as well to take the vaccine. It wasn't something where I just said, oh, sure, I'm going to go line up and do this. Uh, it, it was something that I felt that I needed to do based on the goals that I wanted to accomplish as I went through the rest of my life. And what really struck me and what I really talked to people about is the fact that one Monday we came in to work and as a leader, I go to a huddle every day. And one of the discussion points in the huddle that day was making sure that we had enough body bags because so many people had died of COVID the weekend before and that there was potentially a shortage of body bags. For me, that was the pivotal point where I said, I wanna make sure that I'm vaccinated. And then also from a personal perspective, I like to travel. I've been to 15 different countries and I want to be able to continue to travel with my husband and now teenage son. And for me, I knew that if I wanted to be able to travel, I could have the COVID, I needed to have the COVID vaccine and I needed to get it done as quickly as possible. So I got my first vaccine at the end of December and then I got my second vaccine because it was part of a two part series at the end of January. And then I felt comfortable enough going out and uh, going on an international trip in March. My husband also, who's not a healthcare professional, also got vaccinated. Our teenage son, we've decided to wait at this time. He's 14 years old and we wanna wait just a little bit to see what the trials say before he makes a decision about whether or not he wants to get vaccinated. But your question was, how do we overcome vaccine hesitancy or how do we talk to our community? And I certainly think with podcasts like this about public health and I've had other public health friends who are in the nursing or other spectrums who have come out and listened to the community. Um, what I saw at my pharmacy is that 40% of the staff are people of color. They did not line up first, but once they saw that I got the vaccine, that the clinical pharmacist got the vaccine, that our pharmacy manager was vaccinated, towards the end, towards March and April of our drives, those people also went ahead and, and got the vaccine. So the people who are vocally talking about, I'm not gonna get it, um, I feel a, a divine entity is going to protect me. Oh yes, those people, <laughs> a lot of that. <laughs> absolutely. Those people then turned around and said, I'll take the vaccine. Once they saw that myself got it, other people got it and that we were okay. The side effects were a little bit more than I was hoping for, but I feel more confident 
now that I've been vaccinated and I really hope that my story can resonate with others. So at least that they can ask the questions and they don't feel pressured to get the vaccine, but at least they feel that they're confident in their choice. Yeah, absolutely. I think it really goes back to what is your why, right? So why, why would you want to protect yourself and those around you? And if it's, you know, your elderly grandparents wanting to be able to see their grandparent or their grandchildren, whether that's you or somebody who's an avid traveler and wants to be able to travel again, whether that's somebody who, you know, um, works in healthcare and, and wants to make sure that they're more protected because you're more exposed. I think that's the kind of the heart of it and sort of in the simplest form of like, you know, not just thinking about it from the aspect of your own personal health. Cause I know a lot of people, especially in conservative areas have said that this is like, you know, infringing on their rights and their freedom and their Liberty. It has nothing to do with that. It really is just boils down to the health of the many versus the health of the one. And I don't know about you, but I would feel horrible if I inadvertently got someone that I loved sick or ill or God forbid they pass away, right? And sort of the thing that I think that resonated with me when when you were talking was that issue with the body bags. And, you know, I, I haven't worked in hospital pharmacy in a long time, but I, you know, in the periphery, because of the fact that I'm working in public health, obviously I heard a lot of these stories, um, you know, about ICU beds and, you know, ventilator usages and people having to reuse their N95s and put them in a paper bag. And I just, it was, it was gut-wrenching to, uh, to see that that's, that was what my colleagues were having to go through. And I, I don't know how long it's going to take, but I think that those healthcare workers that endured that is going to be a lasting effect. And I don't know what the, what that will be, um, what that will translate to. I know that there are some people who've chosen to actually leave their profession because of the fact that it was so challenging for them. Um, I know other people who have chosen to, to get out of hospital work because of that. And um, it, it really is, you know, when you really do sit down and think about the fact that we lost over 600,000 Americans in a year. I mean, it's devastating. And not to mention now that we're having, you know, 200, you know, to a thousand people a day dying from COVID-19 when it's completely preventable, right? Like, so now it's like the flip side of it. It's like before, you know, it was because unfortunately our healthcare system and our, our public health infrastructure had broken down. And so we weren't able to contain the virus. And now it's the politicization of the vaccine and things like mask wearing and other public health interventions that is now needlessly killing people because we know that the vaccine will prevent hospitalization and death like 99.2 percent <laughs> like there's nothing obviously in life that's 100 percent. but i mean can you imagine like being the family member of someone knowing that their death could have been prevented like it's just it takes my breath away. 
because <laughs> you know I I've I know you've worked extremely hard on trying to get people vaccinated I know you know it's a labor of love for myself as well and as we are wrapping up and kind of closing down some of our vaccine efforts, I'm just wondering, you know, what is this going to look like in the fall? Yes. And I think that I was blessed because my older sister works for the VA system and the VA system very much quickly got their workers moved to a work from home situation, got them vaccinated quickly. So I think with her getting vaccinated, I got vaccinated my parents chose to get vaccinated. They did it their way where my mom got vaccinated first, waited to recover. And then my father got vaccinated as well. I think just this little light of mine shining out from my corner of the world certainly helps with all of this. Um, it certainly has made me think about the rest of the life that I have here on earth and what I want to accomplish with it. It's made me put up my hand to do podcasts like this, to say that there are role models out there that you can talk to, that people are approachable and will be willing to talk to you about what your concerns are, that we do want to link from hospital to clinic settings such as yours uh, so that we can uh, make the transitions better. I do think that healthcare has moved forward with this. Telehealth is something that we've been trying to get off the ground for a long time. And now my sister works from home four or five days out of the week, really being able to interact with the veterans in the VA system in a timely and efficient manner. I think it's revealed a lot of issues and disparities in our healthcare system. And I think that there is research that needs to be done for years and years. And I certainly, as you said, don't wanna be one of the people who causes somebody else to lose their life because of my selfishness. So I went right in there and got that vaccine, even though I was scared. Um, and even though I did have side effects, it's better than the alternative in my mind. Absolutely. Well, Helen, you have just been such a delight. I'm so glad that we had the opportunity to chat today. Um, if people wanted to find out more about you or to find you or to look you up, where could people find you? Well, I am on LinkedIn. I don't have a separate webcast, but you can just look for my name, Helen McKnight, and you should find my information online. I do have LinkedIn notifications that come all of the time, and I've met a lot of wonderful people through LinkedIn, so certainly seek me out there and follow me, and I'll follow you back. Fantastic. Um, and I know you've also been featured in um, a couple of publications, right? So uh, Hillary Blackburn's uh, book, uh, Women Who Lead. So I definitely would recommend, um, you know, if people haven't, haven't had a chance to see that publication. Um, and if you are a woman um, in pharmacy, uh, it is a definite um, read that I would recommend. Um, there's so many incredible, you know, women 
um, in leadership roles that are doing incredible things right now um, to move our profession forward. And just in general, um, you know, really being outstanding leaders. Um, and I would I absolutely recommend um, taking a look at that publication. Um, and I'll include that in the show notes as well. And again, Helen, thank you so much for what you're doing for your community. Thank you for being that light of hope. Um, and um, I continue to um, learn from all of my guests and I wish you nothing but continued success. Well, thank you so much for the opportunity. I've had an opportunity to hear more about the public health pharmacist and hear about your thoughts and views Certainly, I would love to continue this conversation offline, on LinkedIn, on email. So I would love for you to keep in touch. And then for people of color out there, for people who are in leadership positions, I certainly feel that we need to take the time to mentor others who are coming behind us. Some of the best advice that I've gotten is to put your hand up take the opportunity. You are more than qualified to take the opportunity, but not just take the opportunity, reach back and help others. That's why I take students. That's why I take residents. It's much work on my part to do that. And I know that you do that as well. Um, but that encouragement, perhaps I didn't see it when I was a new babe pharmacist in the 1990s, but I sure want to make sure that others who come through my pharmacy department from the two Alabama schools here get to see that there are people who are on the leadership level. There are people who have done residencies. There are people who are making a difference in their world. And I really think that that's what we need to do as people of color is to encourage and help and hold up others if you can see it you can be it right <laughs> absolutely absolutely fantastic thank you again helen thank you time is our most precious asset and we thank you for spending your time with us and dr madison the public health pharmacist learn more at the public health pharmacist.com